0: Lights Up on a Park bench.
1: Lights Up on a deck. Lights a Up. Lights 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 Up. Lights. Lights Up.
2: A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga.
3: Kenya White, I'll be playing the role of Anderson.
4: Sadie Collins, I'll be playing the role of Detective Harrison from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Savannah Taito, I'm
5: from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'll be playing the role of Detective Garrison.
4: up on the suspect tied to a chair. Two detectives enter the room with documents. Please let me out. Shut your mouth. It won't help to pout.
0: The detectives set the documents on the table.
4: It just doesn't make sense. September 3rd, October 3rd, November 3rd, December 3rd, and nothing ever since. The whole thing reeks. And now today, January
5: 17th. That means it's been two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks and not even a squeak. Not even a peep. Not even a sound. You knew this was bound to catch up with you. It's true. So what I recommend to you is to make this session a confession because, believe me, sweetie, you do not fit in with prison folk.
4: (laughs) No joke, Anderson.
3: Okay, Detective Harrison. Okay, Detective Garrison. Okay, I'll say whatever you need to hear today. Just the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Ask away.
5: Where were you on the nights of December the 3rd, November the 3rd, October the 3rd, and September the 3rd?
3: I play rummy with some dummies on the 3rd of each month. No big deal.
5: No big deal? Playing rummy with these dummies makes you sound
3: real chummy. They're okay. Who are they? I I can't say. And why not? I'll be shot in a spot that I'd really rather not. We need to know. I said no.
4: Okay, have it your way. This station's investigation calls for some enhanced interrogation.
3: No, you wouldn't dare.
4: Lives are on the line. And you'd
5: rather sit there and not care about the danger out there? Out where? Keep playing games, rummy dummy. Harrison, give this jerk the works. Here comes some tough love called Glove Love.
0: Detective Harrison approaches Anderson and puts the gloved hand in front of him. No contact, just close to his face.
3: No, 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 not
4: my personal space. Get it out of my face. Stop playing. I'm staying in your bubble until you stop causing trouble. I can't do it! Garrison? Do it, Harrison.
3: No! All right, all right, all right! I'll tell you everything!
5: I knew that'd make you sing.
0: Detective Harrison removes the glove.
4: Next time the gloves are off, now spill it. Tell it like it is. Who are your rummy buddies?
3: Please don't repeat to anyone where you heard this from. But... But, and it's going to sound real dumb, but one was named after the Lobster and the Little Mermaid.
4: Who was that? Ariel or Ursula? Sebastian. Right, Sebastian. Sorry for asking. And the other one?
5: Yeah, you aren't done, son.
3: You ever seen punk I loved that show. Well, then
4: you should know. Was he named after the host?
3: Yeah, so I know you know.
4: Ashton. Ashton and Sebastian.
3: I played rummy with Sebastian and Ashton.
4: But why didn't you play on the 3rd of January?
3: Well, you see... He's not going to tell us, is he? Spare me. I'm not being contrary. I just need a second C because you're scary to me. Jeez they take a flight, right, from out of state and stay here for the day before we play for the night.
4: So when you say they would stay once they came from out of state, where would they reside before they fly to your estate?
5: Oh. Do you know?
3: Juno. No, I'm asking if you know. No, no, I'm saying Juno. You know, the capital of- I know Juno. Heard it's got a lot of snow. I wouldn't know. I never go. These two, though, they dress like an Eskimo.
4: Even here in Omaha. Oh my god, Eskimos in Omaha, huh? Uh-huh. But about
3: this night. Right. Did they ever leave your sight? As a matter of fact, we cracked open a new card pack for Blackjack before they suddenly backed out. Thought they just hated Blackjack. Sounds whack.
4: They lacked a little tact. Why do you ask? We've been in the dark without a lantern, but there's been a real bad pattern. Blood's been splattered on these dates we thought matter. We're talking murder served on a silver platter, except this one night where they might have left quite a blight. Quite less light at night to remain out of sight, you see. Oh, me. We think you were housing Alaskan assassins.
3: Alaskan assassins? Alaskan Alaskan
4: assassins. Assassins.
3: Harrison, Garrison, this is embarrassing.
5: Anderson, I understand why a wonderkind like your kind could and would be weary, son, but there's no comparison to anything else in our recorded record, so I hope you cooperate. How would they operate when they went away? Did they say anything about where they'd go out for their mob-like job?
3: They talked about going to make a hit.
4: Yep, this is it.
3: That's all they meant to sing.
4: There's no such thing as a place to sing in Omaha. Except a shower, I suppose.
3: I'm so stupid.
4: You're...
5: pretty stupid.
4: What, you think you went to Yale? We've been following their trail, but progress has been slow like a snail reading mail and braille. We've seen fail after fail and thought our ship sailed. We were almost ready to bail. Was there anything at all that you recall being important enough for us to entail?
3: Yes, actually. Speaking factually, their attitudes were real rude. They were throwing you some tood? Sometimes got a little lewd, depending on their mood. They'd walk around in the nude, even eat all my food. Sometimes I wanted to sass back and say they can kiss my-
4: Crass, you think, is an apt description?
3: Yes, they nearly gave me a drastic
4: connection. So Sebastian and Ashton were harassing you.
3: That's another thing, really. I feel rather silly withholding information, like it's all willy-nilly, but I just remembered. Remembered what? Remember, remember the 3rd of November? There was a local Comic-Con they were dead set on.
5: Comic-Con? Go on.
3: You know, those types of morons who dress as gorons and superheroes. (laughs) Usually zeros. Without muchos Ceneros, well, well, uh, I I can't tell you. Poor move, you boob. Have you ever been burnt
5: by a cigarette? No. You mean not yet?
3: Not yet? You can bet. With what cigarette? That's an (laughs) e-vape.
5: Big mistake, Beefcake. Because I rather like Comic-Cons. Let me demonstrate the fate you're set to get. Time to squeal.
0: Detective Garrison pushes the e-vape into Anderson's face.
5: Can you
3: feel that?
5: Yes, oh God, it's
3: real. How does it feel? Like cold steel, sort of. It's not real heated. It's just kind of cold, so moderately cold. This is just a half measure.
5: Ready for more pressure? No, please God, not more pressure. Then speak.
4: Let it leak. At your leisure. Before you have a seizure.
0: Detective Garrison removes the e-vape.
4: Just keep talking and it'll only get easier. Well, Sebastian and Ashton, they made
3: sure they paid a visit.
4: Oh, God. I get it. That's where they made their hits. It all lines up. Our victims got shot up. Why didn't you call up the police?
3: It wasn't a feasible thing. I couldn't call with ease. With just the tease, they were disrupting the peace. It wasn't just disrupting the peace.
5: They brought lives to a cease. Now these assassins are wrecking
4: our streets. That puts us all in a squeeze. We're in a squeeze like an orange in a door hinge. These brutes are making orange juice out of us. These two tools killing fools in costumes could have cost you your life too. They could have taken you to task. If they weren't after people in masks. Alas, it's become a mass mask massacre. I didn't know! Just lay off! It's not that easy, see? Because now you're an accessory. So you don't have to guess, you see, that your tail could be in a jail cell without bail. And it's
5: all because you helped the crass Alaskan assassin Sebastian and Ashton, with a task to harass the masked.
3: Then what do I do to get through to your good side? Just be on our side. If you have any
5: inside info, let it fly. Or die. Die? Why? Maybe not die, Guy. That was a lie, but I wouldn't try to deny the end is nigh. You're about out of luck. So
4: untuck whatever truth you have yet to let loose. What other hints do you have? Even a hint of a hint of where they went.
3: Please don't resent this, but the only hint this gent can present is the one I'd have to invent. Kit bent.
4: We've spent enough patience. Except
3: this, which might make a dent. They ask each other to one another. Next time, can we get cement? Like dollars and cents? Like a thin cookie? Don't be a rookie. He meant like ice cream. Yes, team. Like ice cream. They said they would make people scream there. Scream for ice cream? Dream on. He means scream
5: in fear. Oh, right. So, to be clear, we hear you. Where's the store we should look out for?
4: Uh, Oh, uh... Don't make us play this game again. Well... You know we can again. I'm not sure... I'll be back,
0: Detective Harrison steps out
3: What's going to happen to me? It's not up to me, only
5: you see please, I beg of you. Ye- it's too late. See right now, Harrison is off to handle your immaturity by finding our security. Carolyn, Marilyn, Carol, and Carolyn carry the key to our weaponry.
3: her weaponry.
5: And, when they're granted access by the guards, Joanna, Hannah, and Savannah, you're gonna have a can of worms at hand. Uh, I think I hear your man.
0: Detective Harrison returns with a car battery and jumper cables.
4: You're making me do this. Do you understand? Do you even care?
3: You wouldn't dare. You'd be canned and banned before you'd have to take the stand.
0: Detective Harrison connects the jumper cables to the car battery.
3: Give me a break, man. What are you...
0: Detective Harrison taps the ends of the jumper cables together, creating a spark.
5: Shocked? You're about to be rocked. These jumper cables are more than able to rock and sock you. You've seen batteries in movies, right? So you should be savvy with what move is about to go down, Buster Brown. Around here, we call this... puppetry.
3: Hello! Oh no! We'll get you to speak. Never! I say patootie to your mockery of jumper cable puppetry! Don't you
5: ever! I said never! Harrison, hit him with your ventriloquist
4: voodoo. How do you do? I'm good, thank you. And you? Me too. Woohoo! Let's skip to Maloo! Harrison
0: accidentally connects jumper cables together, causing sparks.
4: Whoa, hey.
5: <laughs> wah, wah, boo-hoo. What you're really gonna
3: do? Uh, I'll tell you what, I, what I'll do. I'll tell you. Take it easy. I'll tell you already. That's your cue. Detective, that'll do.
0: Detective Harrison puts away the puppet battery.
5: I don't understand your incentive, but you've been real inventive dodging our hodgepodge of questions in our lodge. I'll ask once more. What's the ice cream store?
3: The store with every flavor. Every
5: flavor to savor?
3: Okay, not every flavor.
4: Do us a favor and be our savior with some good info instead of this obtuse behavior.
3: I exaggerated. Sorry, I'm exasperated. The store calculated they have 31 flavors congregated.
4: Oh my god. gracious. They are tenacious. It's the biggest and most spacious place any of us have ate a plate of ice cream at to date.
3: I ate that flavor of the month a while back. Gave it a crack and it made my lips smack. So we just want to be clear now. Correct us if we're wrong.
5: Wow, because we've been talking so long. Just vow to help us
4: along. Harrison, tell us how to sing this song. Sebastian and Ashton, the crass Alaskan assassins, harassing masked Nebraskans, are asking for a nasty task in Baskin-Robbins.
3: Garrison, sir, do you concur with the words you heard? Yes.
4: I also believe Sebastian
5: and Ashton, the crass Alaskan assassins harassing masked Nebraskans, are asking for a nasty task in Baskin-Robbins.
3: Well, I wasn't entirely sure at first, but I think you're right. Sebastian and Ashton, the crass Alaskan assassins harassing masked Nebraskans, are asking for a nasty task in
4: Baskin-Robbins. Welp, I'm driving. Shotgun! Thank you, Anderson. Yeah, thanks, you dingus. Dingus con. (laughs) Funny
3: little wordplay.
0: The detectives leave.
3: Oh, so now I can go? Hello? You didn't let me go, though, you know?
0: Yo! No bueno! Anderson struggles with the ropes. Uh, Oh, Anderson manages to break free.
3: Oh, (laughs) ho, 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 YOLO!
0: Lights fade.
6: We are here for episode two of season four, as we've said before, well, priming you for a little wordplay there. (laughs) Um, We are, Chrissy and I, our minds are blown that this tiny little quarantine idea has has built up into this beautiful mountain of artistry and love of four whole seasons. So uh, to bring back an old favorite word, we are excited to be here. (laughs)
1: so excited and so in love with the community that we have gotten to see kind of knit together through this experience it's really been super rewarding i know that's really corny and trite to say but it has been um very restorative in that like oh (laughs) humanity is still good out there so
6: be corny and that's okay
1: (laughs) we all need a little sprinkling of corny
6: sometimes right Uh, But something that was not corny, but very, very clever, was our play this week, Alaskan Assassins, by Harrison Young. And we are joined by Harrison now. Thank you so much, Harrison, for being with
7: us. Hello, thank you for having me. It's an honor, and uh, I'm so glad to be a part of this with you guys.
6: Uh, are we correct in hearing another Tennessean? You are joining us from
7: Nashville? The rumors are true about Tennessee, but I got to break free from the rumors here. I live in Knoxville, oh. so a little bit east of there. In a Knoxville. East
6: there. All right. Excellent. Who knows? See, set us straight. We must be fact-checked.
7: will <laughs> straight by the end of this interview. It's fine. <laughs>
1: Perfect. So we just got to listen to Kenya White, Sadie Collins, and Savannah Taito bring your piece to life. So if you would, uh, catch us up on the history of this, what inspired it, uh, how long did it take you to write this piece, and um, yeah, a little bit about it.
7: Um, I basically wrote this, um, I want to say it was about 2016, maybe 2017. It was inspired by Johnny Carson, right? Uh, It's strange. How like you know when you're just watching television with your family and you see those infomercials just roll across. Um, Johnny Carson had one of those thirty-minute commercials, and on there it had like ten seconds of a little blip of a thing about like and like it seemed like an investigative type of interview, and they had a little bit of rhyming and wordplay in there. I was like, I like that. I feel like I could do something with that because I've just kind of like the phrasing of Alaskan Assassins for a while. I feel like I could play with something like that. And so from there, I made the most fun sentence I could.
6: First of all, that was not what I was expecting, but like you can totally hear that. I was saying to Christy, like there's this weird mix of like Three Stooges, Keystone Cops, kind of like SNL kind of vibe with a little bit of Dr. Seuss because of the verse. And it like, it comes through so well. Um, but my first very tiny specific question is, was Alaskan assassins a phrase used in the sketch or that was a phrase you already liked?
7: I already liked the phrase Alaskan assassins and uh, the Johnny Carson clip didn't do anything with that. They had a bunch of like C words and cl words and things like that. I just kind of like the phrasing of Alaskan assassins and then I just kind of built the silliest sentence I could from there. And once I made the silliest sentence I could, I was like, man, how do i use this in place so i wrote 16 pages to justify like this 25 word sentence or something uh that's just a bunch of sebastian and ashton the crash last and assassins and all this uh madness going on um and then from there along the way i just was also enjoying the wordplay going on and so one thing that i found to be different from the clip that i found yesterday of johnny carson's thing they kept it just that one sound but uh for listeners of the show they will be uh catching that I tried to incorporate many more rhymes as a 16-minute uh, or 16-page script instead of just a three-minute uh, sketch in that sort of way. So it's fun to find a variety of rhymes along the way.
6: Oh, my gosh. And did you ever. So, yes. Okay, so you moved backwards from the phrase containing – or from the sentence contra- containing the phrase Alaskan Assassins. My question – my first question that came to mind was um, – How, how many like edits did you go through? Was it like, was this like a seven layer dip where you started with like the foundation of the beans and you were like, I'm just going to get the rhymes and then I'll add the puns. And then, cause you have like homonyms, you have like I rhymes, you have like, when you read it, you pick up on more things. So, um, was it constructed like that? Was it more of like a nacho where everything was layered in at once? And I love a good food metaphor, clearly. You're but killing me
1: with the food
7: metaphor. Yeah, um, so much of the script was based around that one sentence, and so then whenever I'm making everything else, I was like, okay, I can have fun. Okay, so this is almost embarrassing, but I like it, so I'm going to roll with it and be proud. Uh, along the way, while I was, you know, writing words, I was like, okay, here's some words I'm using. Okay, I'm using the word "can" a few times here. Ban, ban, ban. Yeah, and hand, and I just like started typing out as many words as I could rhyme. And it's like one thing to do that just one time request. I ended up having multiple pages of just like A to Z, how many rhymes I could have. And then after a while, you see, I have all these word choices. What sort of conglomeration can I make out of these words into any semblance of the story, right? Uh, and, and the story is light, but it's fun, right? And so it's, a, you know, that, that was the journey that was largely leading me. It's like, I found myself using a few words trying to get to that big long sentence how do i get to that while still having fun with the wordplay along the way so sometimes it was rhyming sometimes uh it was assonance uh you know alliteration what have you and uh sometimes it was a very uh not natural sketch idea of what police brutality would look like so it's you know Try to throw whatever I could to just throw off expectations.
1: Well, talk to us a little bit about your process as a writer. So, do you feel like this show is a is a fair sample of your of your style? Do you tend to really enjoy wordplay, or you know, writing in verse of 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 sorts?
7: It's a funny question. I love comedies. That's what I usually write up until like my past play or two. I've almost always done comedies, right? Um, as far as wordplay, I like to incorporate where I can. I think there's humor and all that. But as far as doing like all wordplay, like this play, it is like I, I tried to learn as much as I could in 16 pages on what I can do and I, I try to incorporate every word into that. Um, usually, my plays, I'll have like a, a few lines that are really like, oh, okay, <laughs> didn't expect that. Let's move on. Right. And try to get to the larger story. But this one, the, uh, the, the wordplay kind of makes the day on this one. And uh, that is unique for me in my work.
6: So normally you're a little more story-driven or are you more character-driven or?
7: Yes, yes. This one is very phonetic. Usually I'm very conflict-driven for my scripts. For me, I normally like to have, if I can get a conflict down, like a sincere, interesting one to me, I may not know how it begins. I may not know how it ends, but I can get to the conflict. And then i can look back and what i've done to kind of figure out what the resolution is from there that's how i really like to do things as a writer this one was reverse engineered in a way that i don't even know if i've reverse engineered other scripts like this this method before in that sort of way i just had a sentence i was like how do i justify the sentence let's start back over again right um but uh usually if i have a strong conflict where even if i don't know that the answer of the conflict should be things like that that's usually the core of my larger work and uh my usual work on that. That's what usually inspires me. Mm-hmm.
1: So, how long have you been a playwright? How did you get started?
7: Yeah, I originally got started in 2006, me and a friend. Uh, and uh, we, we co-wrote a script just for this event called All Night Theater. Uh, it was us two co-writing alongside a bottle of, I think it was Crown Royal that night. Uh, and just in a night trying to figure out like what it was like to write. And, uh, and we had a fun time. And i uh, just kind of left it as one little fun sketch since then. But then about two years later in 2008, I had my first playwriting class. Um, I went to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And while I was there, they had a non-credit course. That was like four weeks. That was led by Kelly Meister. And uh, she believed in me from day one. That was really inspirational. And she guided me to be able to help me create my first standalone play in what I would call not just a silly sketch, but actually like I have a fun story going on, right? And uh, be able to develop it by myself, and that was a a play called Online Fighting, about two video gamers rekindling a feud, and uh, there's three fights in that 10-minute scene that we did, it was about how to write 10-minute plays, and that later, uh, two years later, three years later, led to me turning that into a two-act play. Uh, and between the two of those versions and some high school productions, I know I've gotten that produced almost a dozen times. So uh, I've been real pleased with that. And that's kind of helped me set the momentum for me to be able to carry on my other work uh, from there as well. I just, uh, it's, I, I I I got very lucky with my first script being um, as good to me as it was in that sort of way. And so, uh, and it's taken me years to be able to have another one like that. So for any writers that are listening, I just, you know it sometimes has gaps in between find of that moment keep five
6: yeah that's uh, yeah you you can't what do they say you know lightning doesn't always strike twice you can't expect mm-hmm. to like I, I when i take or teach yoga it's always like you can't do this the same pose the same exact same way twice and that's kind mm-hmm. of that's how art is as well um but it sounds like it was really important to you to have this great teacher and mentor which so many of our playwrights have mentioned over the course of the season is having someone who believes in them. And I think, you know, in a broader sense, right, that's what we're all looking for in life is someone to believe in us and validate and help support us. Um, So aside from that, from getting that support, and doing some sketch writing, how did you get involved in Theater itself. Had you only had you ever done any kind of performance? You talk about, you know, wanting to have a good conflict. Had you ever done performance or design work of any sort?
7: Um, in, in high school was whenever I began with it. I came from a small rural area called Solana, Tennessee. Um, if you've ever heard of it, it's probably because of its world's largest smallmouth bass. Um, you know, first and foremost I was a video game player, but then also I was an athlete. And during this time, um, I, they never had video game classes, and they made me stop taking PE. And so I was like, "Oh, what am I going to do now?" Uh, <laughs> here is a theater class, and uh, I see some of my teammates are in it. Let's let's just go. Let's try. And um, I had a teacher, Miss Melissa White, uh, who is a, a wonderful teacher, and uh, usually taught English, but found her ways to get involved with theater and different things. And she had given us different homework assignments uh, and the first one that I really remember of mine from that class was they gave, uh, she'd give me a monologue from um, the jerk, Steve Martin's movie. And, uh, and there's that monologue where he's like, I don't need any of this stuff except this laugh of, you know, all, all this stuff. Right. Uh, and so I learned that monologue and then I just messed up her desk during the monologue <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she gave me a good grade and uh, that has Set off my theater career ever since. Thank you, Miss White, for not like punishing me with that. <laughs> so, it's, uh, what two. an
1: iconic monologue, too! I know, mm. right? What
6: like classic tropes? You have two amazing teachers. You're mm. an athlete turned performer. And you've been given these, like, you've been inspired by classic comedy bits. You know, Steve Martin, Johnny Carson. This was, like, kind of destined for you, Harrison. I feel like you couldn't avoid it.
7: <laughs> well, we'll see how the rest of my life goes. But so far, so good, right? Trying to, trying to keep it going. Uh, and so, you know, I uh, I have tried to study a lot of the old legends. I, I could stand to study more of, like, uh, Johnny Carson, things like that. But, like, uh, comedy stand-up, I, I just think has... In recent years gotten much more attention like it's deserved, but hasn't always gotten the attention that it deserved. It would have some standout stars, but uh, for its field, it hasn't always been kind to all of the people practicing its art, and not everybody that deserves to make it has made it. So, I, I've spent a lot of years just kind of studying that in the early years, and I've drifted a little bit away from that since then. I think some of my writing is kind of reflecting that, but I mean, comedy stand up has, has truly been a core of what, what I studied to help me be a better writer. That there's just something. About finding the essence of what works between a person with a microphone and the audience immediately right there, and of course, jokes in theater don't always translate into jokes in front of a microphone, and vice versa. But there is something about the the strength of word economy and uh, the ability of just really strong writing. Okay.
6: I would one hundred percent agree with that because um, I I very much am a fan of of stand up, and I. I had mentioned this, Christy and I always love to discuss the the plays before we do our interview. And I had mentioned to Christy um, in particular about Alaskan Assassins that some of the techniques that you used in, in the play were very much, from a comedy standpoint, um, I do musical improv. But one of the things that I noticed you did was um, sometimes you – Skirted around a word, you would allow the audience to know the word before the characters knew the word, which can. um, I I said to Christy, it's it's the opposite of talking down to your audience, right? It's letting your audience in on the joke, and I think really great standups do that. And I think really the standups that I really admire are storytellers. They're not joke tellers; they're storytellers. And um, I saw some of that fine. Um, Craftsmanship in Alaskan Assassins. And I know you said, you know, it was a big joke and, and you were working backwards, but there were certain like tried and true comedic techniques that were showing up in the, the play. Were you aware when you were writing it? Or is that, do you think, something that's just soaked into your being from being a, a student of comedy?
7: Probably as a student of comedy in that sort right, of way, but it's hard to tell sometimes. Um and it's funny you mentioned the musical or the musical improv background. I, I had an improv background as well when I lived in Brooklyn for three years. But yeah, as far as those structures and things like that, like I, I guess for me I was kind of thinking of some of the tropes of like police investigations. Um most of the time they're not really accurately showcasing how police work. Right. And so I just kind of leaned hard on that. Like, yeah, I'm not trying to give you the idea that I know how it works. But also I show you that I have an idea of what the tropes are and then I give you something different besides that a lot of times the trope is like oh here's a slap in the backhand or you know burn you with a cigarette or you want to take the jumper tables to you all that outrageous stuff and I was like okay that's already outrageous let's go further and so that sort of thing uh I, I think guided me in that sort that's of way. some of those familiar patterns of comedy in the past uh, and uh, not trying to stay too close to the truth of how police officers actually work. You know, but also trying to play hard into what people comedically expect out of that two-on-one uh, power dynamic.
1: What do you feel has been the hardest thing about getting your work out there or getting exposure? And
7: That's a good question. I find that it's hard to just submit to every single theater out there like a shotgun approach. What I've had to try to focus on more specifically nowadays is to do more of a sniper approach. By the way, we need some better metaphors than guns. <laughs> uh, how, how do I do this? Instead of having a splash attack uh, on how uh, to submit the theaters, I'm aiming more for a super soaker. No, that's a good I was thinking like, like water
1: balloons, but that's
7: still kind water of... Water balloons. Yeah.
6: So uh, you mean instead, instead,
7: of, of, instead of
6: a buffet, you want a <laughs> tasting menu if we go back to that's food, it. right?
7: That's <laughs> it. That's it. I don't mean all the trays. give me the toothpick. And I will have that one buy, yeah. and I will know. And a moose, but, boosh. and
6: a moose bouche oh, yeah. of submissions. You had to say a moose bouche. Yeah, boosh. <laughs> yeah.
7: Um, but but I do think that's largely been more helpful for me trying to find the theaters that just impeccably has a perfect argument for me to get in there. Not that I get selected every time that I find it. It's certainly not that case. But um, it, I've not had much luck just with the you know wide radius of sending out plays. So I tend to encourage people to find theaters and look at their history, look at their seasons, make the case for why they should do your show based off what they're already doing. They don't need to be changing who they are as a theater necessarily. Maybe they should for other reasons. But as far as like selecting your script goes, um, you know, let them know what they've been doing well that works with what you already do and why that would fit in with their existing audiences. It's already hard enough to sell tickets, especially post-pandemic.
1: I think that's such a brilliant point because um not necessarily like throwing a blanket and canvassing at every theater is going to work because it is so important to to zero in on your niche. If I read an email of a playwright saying based on work that you've already done, I believe your audience is going to love this story. I would be much more invested in reading it and digesting it from that perspective, being like, wow, they've done research. They, you know, they understand maybe our style and what we do. All right, let's, let's check you out. So that's a, I feel like that's such a brilliant point of like honing in on your niche and lean into it. I think that's great.
7: Thank you. Uh, I, I would share just an example to go along with that, talking about the play online fighting that I described earlier. Um, you know, I, I've had I've been fortunate with compliments with friends that were trying to share nice things to me. Thank thank them for that. Of course, the same things like it's original. But what they didn't always know is that how broad theaters can be with their different flavors. So the example I'm trying to get to here is whenever I was in New York, uh, there was the Brick Theater. And whenever uh, that theater. Uh, well, it's still around. it's still around. Um, they do a variety of different types of festivals, and one includes an annual video game themed festival. And I was like, okay, so this lines up really well, but also my show is complicated. It has 13 fights in the two-act version. I'd really like to do that one. I did some research. They had also previously done a stage combat festival. At that point, get me in the door. How do we do this? Here's my information fire away. And so uh ended up getting in on that after they declined some other scripts. Then I realized, oh, you do this festival and you have this history of this festival. And I've been living in town now, so I've gotten some better context to help me produce this. Like it's now or never, let's go. So, uh, and it, it just worked out really well.
6: Um, would you, do you find with this targeted approach that you actually have more success? Is that why you find, do you feel like of your work, you've had a good number of it produced when you do submit?
7: I find that's helped. Uh, it's just allow me to get some better selections going on there as opposed to uh, just widely shooting it out and saying, oh, you're accepting plays? I'll pay this fee and go in there. By the way, I don't always recommend paying the fee, right, on that sort of thing. Find what's working for you. But if it is, cool.
6: Because you're taking this targeted approach, uh, has anyone ever commissioned you to do work or have you started to write maybe towards a theater? Have you looked at, Have are there theaters you admire and you're like, oh, I want to write something for one of their seasons or their festivals. Have you ever worked that approach?
7: Um, I have declined one recently on that, just wasn't the right fit on, on that situation. I wasn't going to be able to do that. Um, as far as what uh, has been done with it, um, I'm trying to think if there has been an example. Okay, so this isn't exactly the same thing, but this has led to some success for me uh, where um, I would ask friends to give me a title for a script for like a 10-minute script and then I'll try to write them a play as best as I could and if I liked the play at all afterward, uh, and most of them I didn't but you know some of them I did then I would be able to send that out to other places so one of those contacts uh, ended up uh, working well for me after one of those plays uh, wrote a script called Asking for a Friend by my late friend and whenever uh, I'd written that like literally day I was just like here you go man Here's a script for uh, and then after a while, uh, you know, I had a friend uh, Chad who ended up going to uh, open a theater, and uh, and this was in LA, and he was looking for scripts, and I just sent him that, and ended up getting my LA premiere, and you know, it, it was a, a theater where it was built in his garage with a seaside ocean view there and all that. So I don't want to make it sound like it's a big 300 seat like venue and all that, but it was my LA debut, and I was like, wow, just I took a weird suggestion from a friend. And then um, you know that, that's not commissioning, like what you're uh, saying, but I was in a funk where I wasn't really finding my creative juices. And also, uh, I was living in Cookville, Tennessee for a little bit. And there weren't a lot of spaces for creating new works in Cookville. Got a lot of theater support there, but just not necessarily for new works and self-producing in, in that same capacity. And so uh, I was asking friends for titles and got that one in, in a day. Ended up uh, later on getting my LA debut, so that, that how did you find out about lights up? How did I find out about lights up? Um, my friend Jimbo in Chattanooga, uh, Jimbo, or had uh, reached out to me. He'll tell me about different theaters in town every now and then and, uh, different shows, things like that. And, uh, he mentioned that this was going on. And so I just, uh, took the chance and submitted. And, uh, ever since then, Gary's always been, uh, very nice to reach out with me throughout his busy life. And, uh, and fortunate for the opportunity to be here hmm, cool awesome.
6: so another good contact a friend watching out you really have a good support system
7: i try but, it, but so then with this i i try to remind people like i stand on the shoulders of giants and it's no fun burning a bridge i've done that before it sucks it sucks and you can rebuild it sincerely you can but like it takes time and nobody wants that and it's just uh, you know it's just Easier to stay good with people and it helps everybody so why not do it
1: Amen Man, I wish more more people thought along that scope for sure because I I love that there you have such a sense of humility in terms of the people that have poured into you or the support system that you have and appreciation for them Um, and it seems like also a good leaning in in your own talent and work ethic and that's I think a very good can I use the word formula very good formula or basis, good foundation, um, especially for this industry that can chew you up and spit you out. So,
7: true, true. Yeah. Um, it, it, it it's a very fun industry, and it can be very hard. And uh, sometimes that's the work, and sometimes that's the ego. I try to drop the ego part at this point.
1: Yeah, oh, that's a good reminder.
6: Yeah, I was gonna say it's like a very nice balance that you seem to have struck between um, being grateful, being generous, um, but also being persistent and also believing in yourself and being confident. Uh,
7: I I try to share that with the playwrights I mentor too. I've got a program nowadays where I mentioned Kelly Meister, I mentioned Vanya Swartovski, and then there's also Tom Parkhill and Tennessee Playwrights Studio in Nashville and Phoenix uh, Theatre Company, uh, where... Uh, a few different influences that have helped me just kind of learn about the the good graciousness that's been given to me over time and so i try to mentor a playwright a year this year i'm doing two playwrights for the first time mentoring and uh trying to just pass that on and sometimes those lessons i'm trying to share while helping them write a play includes hey watch art is dead by bo burnham get a little sense of humility as an artist here uh you know and uh go along the way and uh, mm.
6: And to talk about Bo, he is uh, an artist who is a comedian and a storyteller and like, you know, even the movies he's directed and that it's, it's really, uh, he's got a, that's a great reference to throw out there for anyone who's trying to write comedy in a theatrical sense. I think he's, he's a great one to look towards. I would like to circle back to, uh, to the, two Alaskan assassins for a moment. Um, thank you. Yeah, we're going to all going to. Just turn the car around for a minute. Um, You were mentioning uh, that you did focus in on the power dynamic uh, between, right? There is, you know, and it's a two-on-one, the the detectives against Anderson. Um, I really liked, in our version, that we had two female presenting voices doing the detective and then we have the male presenting voice doing Anderson. Um, is this the first time you've heard it done that way? And and uh, yes or no, regardless of that, how do you feel about adding a little bit of like uh, gender to the play?
7: It is the first time and I like it. So with the, um, the gender dynamic, as I understood things, uh, I believe it was two women and one male in that sort of way. And um, the one time that I've seen this show produced before was with Tiger Lily Theater. That was a company that was focusing uh, on female roles and uh, opportunities for women in theater while they were still around in Knoxville. And so they did it with uh, a female director and three women who were uh, working on it. And uh, they all did a great job with it and enjoyed it. This is the first time where the genders kind of cross over to some capacity here. And um, that worked out well because originally when I wrote it, I originally intended it to be three men, but after the Tiger Lily production, I was like, oh, this could very easily just be three women as well and work just as well. And, uh, you know, if I am surrounded by two female police officers, let me tell you something, they can still arrest me. They can still scare me, you know. You don't even really need the badge for that.
6: It was really fun. And I do think, yeah, the way you wrote it, it can be, I mean, it would be fun to hear, you know, a uh, male or male presenting detective and a female or female presenting detective. You know, I have a Harrison and Garrison and see what the dynamic is there and, you know, maybe mix up the expectation of 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 what we have of gender. Um, and it was so it was fun to do that. And because of the writing and the wordplay, you've, you've layered it. Again, we'll go back to that five layer dip, right? You've got the foundation of the comedy and the wordplay, but there's also, like you said, interrogation, police brutality. Like you can kind of like nudge, nudge, wink, wink at a few different things. And there's definitely ways to explore gender dynamics in the play too.
7: Thank you. And I thought they did a great job. Everybody deserves credit and round of applause on it. I know it's
6: You've mentioned that you definitely have done, especially inspired by your friends, right? You've done 10 minute plays, one act plays. Uh, You said your first play turned into a two act play. Um, You have a background in sketch what's, what's eluding you? Is there a big dream? Do you want to do like an epic piece? Do you want to do a trilogy? Do you want to do a musical? Is there something you haven't written yet that you really want to try?
7: Um, I wish I was better at poetry. I I don't do it enough, so I shouldn't be good at it. But I just, okay, so without attacking the art form, it's not that what I'm about to say. Like, I've just grown up so much with poetry always having to rhyme and always being a certain structure. So when I see all this beautiful poetry that does not follow that, that has always eluded me on it. And, uh, you know, I, I could practice on it more and eventually get better. Who knows how good I would get, right? And who cares how good I get? You know, it's the art form and doing it for myself and everything else to come, right? I wish I was able to feel comfortable with a few times that I've tried that to be able to be like oh here's a line that has six lines and then like it goes down a line and it's still in the middle of the line you have that space to the left not doing anything and it continues and then it doesn't rhyme and then it talks about bees at the end. how did you do that that was beautiful when i cried why how did you do that
1: that really tickled me sorry i'm still chuckling over here
7: <laughs> <talking>
1: about peas <laughs>
6: <laughs> oh my god but I hear what you're saying as someone who is like leaning towards a joke in comedy you want to feel comfortable maybe stretching out I have faith I think you could do it when you write your 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 poetic verse you know blank verse play send it to us because I'm sure it'll be beautiful
7: <laughs> well thank you i I appreciate that um I've, I've heard of those and I've not done that exactly. Uh, I used to. Uh, do these one-hour silent writing sessions with Next Run Productions. Um, excuse me, call them Scruff Drafts because Knoxville's Scruffy City has uh, kind of a little nickname, so we call them Scruff drafts. And uh, I would try to write these broken sonnets in an hour. we have an hour silent writing. So basically, I like the sonnet structure, but also, like, how do I get away from that? Okay, we'll do the ABAB, and then make myself get away from that for a moment. And then we go back to CDCD. CD, then make myself get away from that, and then we can finish like, okay, fine, you can have your sonnet and also get out of your shell.
6: Well, as we said, not everyone is good at everything. So I think you're really, really lucky that you're so good at what you're good at. Because, man, it was – there's a lot of really fine – I was glad that I had a chance to read the play as well as listen to it because there's a lot of really great skill in – in Alaskan Assassins. And to me, it was very obvious this was highly, that took a lot of skill. It may have started from a joke, but
7: mm-hmm.
6: it was, yeah.
7: I feel like the thing just most probably, I can care for any writer that's listening today uh, about trying to find any element of skill in there is to repeatedly read the script out loud to yourself. Because for me, I really like the flow that I've got going on for the majority of the script and things like that. The word play's fun, but the flow and how to get that feel right and things like that. I feel like if you just repeatedly read it out loud to yourself, when you're going to iron out whatever typos and things, and you're going to be more in about whatever you have in there. Uh, But also, you're really going to be testing yourself on how sincerely that entertains you. And I don't want to give the impression that I'm just like, oh, when I'm reading my own stuff over and over. Right? It's true, but I don't want to give that impression. (laughs) <laughs> but beyond that, <laughs> uh, it, it really just makes you face like, what am I creating here? Is this the best effort I'm giving? And once you just cannot stand to do it anymore, both in your own exhaustion of doing it and also um, whenever you just can't think of how to do it any better than what you've done it there, um I, I just think that would help any artist. And, and that's something that. I think playwrights are doing sometimes, but I'm not always hearing that a lot from the playwrights that I speak with. So that's one of the things I encourage most, you know, you don't need a class to do that. Mm. Just Wear yourself out rereading it, read it out loud. See how it sounds even to your own ears, even if you hate your voice.
6: And that's the thing with comedy, especially, I think, um, you know, people underestimate it uh, because they're, there is a, a rhythm, there is a bit of a formula, there are ways to make it sing, to make a joke, to make a situation, to make it really sing, and I think that's actually why people who understand music are really good at comedy too, because there is an oh, yeah. undercurrent of a, a rhythm and, and such there, and so yeah, it, I just yeah, I think that's brilliant, a brilliant piece of advice for anyone, but I can see where it's especially useful with someone who writes a lot of comedy
7: it's funny you associate the music and the comedy that's sort of way. sometimes i think people who know a lot about comedy have a hard time getting into music because so much there's that rhyme structure there mm. that can give away your punchline before you get to it that's true and so how do you break away from that like lonely island breaks away from it by breaking away from rhymes okay there you go <laughs> that's fine i didn't expect you to say something that didn't rhyme with that okay yeah um but it, it it's hard sometimes if you're if the goal of comedy scares people off guard, it's with that. But I like what you're saying about musicians going into comedy because I thought the opposite about comedians going into music. Yeah. And so it's fascinating. Well,
6: because I guess it might be harder if they're used to discovering a rhythm. And with music, the rhythm is already dictated. So you have to kind of work backwards. But, you know, I have distinct memories of doing uh, comedies, especially in grad school and it was like highly movement-based, and and I would say the line, and I knew in my bones it wasn't fully landing. And I just distinctly remember a rehearsal where I would like say the line, and I looked out at the director and went, that wasn't it, and I wasn't it. That was better. It was just one of those moments, and it's like if anyone who thought that, like who had no idea behind the scenes and thought that we just walk out on stage and say the words on the page and make it funny that's not how it works, you know? And then once I found it, I was like, that's it. And, and you know, everybody laughed and it was like, yes, that's it. And then it's like this feeling you get in your bones and then you have to say it that way, but freshly and, and originally every time because then the, the joke doesn't land. And it's the same thing with the song, right? You have to find where the melody fits in your voice and mm-hmm. really, and maybe that rest is there for a reason or eighth rest or whatever. And you have to be able to sing it like it's new the first time.
7: Yeah, I'm really enjoying talking shop with you guys. This is great. It's a lot of fun talking with
6: you guys. Well, that's our our problem is we never want to say goodbye to anybody, but we probably should wrap up here in a moment. Well, ours, ours was going to be part of our wrap up here. Um, Christy and I always ask our playwrights the same three questions at the end Um, it's just like a little getting to know you and uh, you can answer just for whatever you're feeling today it's okay if your answer would change tomorrow Um, but before we do those final three questions if you had anything else you want to share please feel free
7: I'm honored to be here. You know, I mentioned that at the beginning, but bears repeating. Uh, I'm really excited for this to be my first introduction to the company, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing not just this script, but also the other selections that were done this year. Um, You know, has been nothing short of kind and professional, and uh, you know, comfortable to speak with. And I'm just looking forward to continue great work from there. So thank you.
6: Thank you. And we also wanted to give you a moment. We always give the playwrights a moment. To um, plug themselves, as we talked about, an important part of the the juggle here. So, any social media handles you want to share, um, if you are on New Play Exchange website, anything you want to get out there, you can say right now, nice and loud and clear. We'll post links as well in the um, episode notes, but you we, we kind of give you the the stage here.
7: Thank you so much. I do have a Next Run Productions Facebook page. That's my main one on that. Also, we just added a new Instagram page for the first time because, yes, I am behind on the time. Um, but then also alongside with that, uh, and that's the um, that, that's the program I do about mentoring Knoxville playwrights in the local area and surrounding counties uh, each year. Uh, and then uh, beyond that, I am on New Play Exchange under Harrison Young. And uh, you'll you'll find a variety of plays that I have uh, public facing in that sort of way, alongside a play that I co-wrote with uh, a writing partner, Carlin Powell.
6: Awesome. And will you just say the name of the program one more time?
7: Yes. Next Rung Productions, like climbing a ladder, always climbing higher.
1: Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So the first of our three questions: Is there a word? that you love to say that you love to hear perhaps it's even a favorite word just one word in particular that you like
7: I've been learning Spanish a little bit here lately and uh, I promise you I'm not very good it's not my first time trying but uh, I have recently come across the word cerrado and cerrado means closed so it's not that I'm in love with the definition but just feels right to say.
1: Question two.
7: Dos, I hear.
6: Dos. Pregunta. Pregunta
1: numero dos. I was you say pregunta. You're the best.
6: Pregunta. Um, pregunta numero dos. You even put a little Spanish in Alaskan Assassins, I'm realizing. There's a line that says no bueno in there. See,
7: sí. yeah. Gracias.
6: <laughs> um, question number two that we love to ask is do you have a cherished, favorite, um, nostalgic place or setting that you love?
7: As far as what I write with, as far as I like to go.
6: Either or, however you'd like to answer the question.
7: I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, <laughs> I'm going to say Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, and that, I'm saying that because, um, whenever I was growing up that we would, um, go over there and uh, just spend like a week, a year, something like that, right? Um, and whenever there was the fires in like 2016, I think it was, that had uh, unfortunately damaged just millions of dollars worth of material, maybe even a billion, um, that, that really pulled my heartstrings in a way that I didn't know that I felt at that time, so I did some, uh, I won't call it fundraising, we did like a collect-a-thon type deal asking people to donate some things, and And then end up bringing it up to Knoxville. That was the closest place I knew that was then taking the rest of it up to to Gatlinburg from there. And so uh, I I guess that was one of the moments I realized, oh, man, that's a place that I didn't really think of. Like, I don't want to lose the place where I played racquetball growing up once a year or where I swam in a pool or, you know, uh, ate food that was more expensive than I realized at my young age. Things like that. Right.
6: (laughs) To me are the Ted Lasso of playwriting.
7: I still need to watch that show. This is the third time it's come up today. I, <laughs> need to, I need to watch this show. It you must are, be amazing.
6: You are funny. You are so sweet and kind, and you have such a kind heart, but you're like, you know, like from what I'm getting, like a bigger Southern gentleman, and then like you've got the voice, but like, you're creative and kind and sweet. And just like, you're just really giving me playwriting Ted Lasso vibes. And, and I hope, you know, that is like the highest compliment I could give. And I've never said that to anybody before.
7: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, I won't tell Ted Lasso. So uh, that will be uh, just between you, me, and the listeners. And I appreciate you saying that. All
1: right. Final question. Is there an, Item in your life that you would consider a keepsake, something that's precious, a sort of totem of sorts, you know, even on the level potentially that, you know, your place is burning down and you're grabbing it before you go out the door?
7: I mean, first thought is my cats, but I don't know how quickly they want me to pick them up, especially in the sense of a fire, especially (laughs) since cats don't get along. So having one in each arm. We're all going to fall in that fire. So um, I believe you're trying to get to items more than pets. And sort of way. So let me try to answer that. Um, this is the best
6: Lasso answer I've ever
7: you know, heard. <laughs> <laughs> like if right and time got along better, then it would be an easier answer for me. But no, I, I'm going to be, you know, fire firefighters are going to come along and be like, oh, I'm sorry, this man died. It wasn't from fire. He had just had gashes on both sides of his ribs. <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> items. <laughs> I would say items. Um, there was a little trophy that I had growing up. Um, in sixth grade, I had won the uh, Junior Pro League uh won championship and two mvp that year and, and like it's one thing to be appropriate but oh Harrison cared that much about sports i don't anymore i don't know who's on any of the basketball teams anymore but i'm saying that to say because my dad was a hometown legend of basketball growing up and because i was playing basketball first as my sports uh junior pro was fourth or sixth grade league and um fourth grade we were zero and ten and then fifth grade we were zero and ten And then sixth grade, we ended up, I think, we were like seven and three, and then ended up going undefeated in the double elimination tournament. Yeah, I remember that much. And uh, and it stuck with me, not only just to see the change but like what hard work and time and dedication you get Uh to, but the most important thing about that to me is that I did that with my dad.
4: He is, you are the Ted Lasso of
6: playwrights. You're the Ted Lasso of lights up. Oh my God. I'm, oh, I'm in love with you, Harrison. No. I like this. is so <laughs> lovely.
7: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Humanities Tennessee is pleased to announce that the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga and the Lights Up Podcast are grant recipients to the Sustaining the Humanities through the American Rescue Plan program made possible by the National Endowment for the Humanities as part of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, approved by the U.S. Congress and signed into law on March 11. Because of this program, Humanities Tennessee is able to provide $941,454 to 91 organizations throughout the state. The purpose of SHARP grants is to support jobs in the humanities, keep humanities organizations open and assist the field in its response to and recovery from the needs created or exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. These grants may focus on humanities projects or leveraging operational support stemming from the devastating impact of the coronavirus pandemic. It may also help organizations plan for the future and begin the long process of response and recovery to the pandemic. Lights Up Podcast would like to thank Humanities Tennessee and the National Endowment for the Humanities for this amazing opportunity.
2: Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theater company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Giovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the express written consent of the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or a reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensemble theatre of chattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, Please visit our website for details. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast.